Hey, it's good to be back and alive. You know, they say that there are like two reasons that you get invited back to somewhere to speak. Uh, the first reason is um, you did so poorly the first time that um, they feel sorry for you and uh, they give you a second chance. Uh, or maybe uh, God used you and you were a blessing. So I hope it was the latter and not the former that I can invite it back. Come on, say amen. Um, but you have an incredible team here. Uh, Pastor Tom and your team is amazing. Can we just celebrate and thank God for them? Yeah. And so I, I bring you greetings from the Wesleyan Church headquarters, our uh, general superintendent, Dr. Wayne Schmidt, and the 1,600 churches and 28 or so districts uh, here in North America. Uh, we, we love what God is doing here uh, at Alive. You know, there is, uh, we've been in this series the last several weeks called Soul Detox, and I want to pick up on uh, what, where you left off last week. Uh, there's a passage in Genesis 2 and 7 that says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. Somebody shout soul. Uh, and Pastor Tom has done a great job, particularly in that first week, helping us to understand that we are not just bodies with the soul, but we are actually souls with bodies. And this paradigm shift, if you will, uh, is kind of taking us to a new way of thinking, and it can potentially change how we see everything. Now, I've done uh, a detox cleanse, a deep cleanse before. It's rough. Come on, say amen if you've been there before. Um, and what's powerful about them is uh, when toxic things are in us, it's important that we remove them so that we can, and maybe even purge them out of our system so that we can be healthy and so we can be free. Um, this is not just true of our physical bodies, but it's also true of our souls as well. So we've talked about the restless soul. We talked about the tortured soul. Last week, we talked about the seduced soul. And so today, I want to kind of pick up there and give you a new topic. But before I go there, let me, let me share this story to set it up. So um, back in the day, when I was a lot more healthy and a little more fit, come on, say amen. Um, it is a keg now. It used to be a six-pack. Y'all pray for me. And um, this was back in the day when uh, I was being recruited. Actually, I got recruited by Clemson and came, ran down the mountain, rubbed the rock, the whole nine. Um, and this, <laughs> so I ended up going to college and playing ball. I separated my shoulder my senior year, so it affected uh, some of the recruitment. But I was at a practice at my high school, and uh, it was at the end of practice. How many football players or former football players do we have in the house? Yeah, you'll know what I'm talking about. So there are these things called gassels, right? And a gassel is when you run from one side of the field to the other side of the field. You touch the line, and you come back, and you're timed. It's a lot like um, what they call suicides in basketball. Basketball, you run to certain lines on the floor. You touch them, you come back. You do them at the end of the practice. It is a way of building endurance, right, so that you're strong and, and ready to go in the fourth quarter. And so we were running gassels, and... Uh, Gassels are timed, right? So each position has a different time. Linemen have a certain time. Backs and receivers have a certain time. I was a quarterback. And so I'm running down. I'm touching the line. I'm coming back. And, uh, and I finished first. Somebody shout first. You know, and I was really, um, you know, pleased with myself. You know, I finished first. And uh, one of my coaches, who was a 6'4", about 275 man, a manly man, grabs me by my face mask and pulls me close to him. And he says this, you're faster than that. You're thinking what I'm thinking. I finished first. Like, what you talking about? And, and he played college ball, and he said something to me I'll never forget. He said, here, um, finishing first is okay. But if you want to play, if you want to start as a freshman at the next level, you can't just finish first here because you're going to be going against the fastest of the fast from all over the country in college. And fast 
uh, finishing first is not good enough. You need to give me your best here so that you'll be able to give me your best there. And I learned something in that moment. I learned that maybe, just maybe, I had become satisfied too soon. That maybe first was not my best. And that there were people who were watching who could see it. And so I want to talk to you for a little while from the thought of, from the subject, a satisfied soul. A satisfied soul. Now, I know initially it it sounds good, but this detox is for heads that are full, but sometimes hearts and lives that are empty. And if you're wondering, like, what are some of the symptoms of a satisfied soul? There are things like uh, we self-sabotage. We, we want to build our own kingdoms. We uh, quit prematurely. We want to be in control. And sometimes we prefer comfort over obedience to God. Uh, Will Mancini says it this way. He says, uh, we are often kept from our goals, not always because of obstacles, but a clearer path to a lesser Goal. I'm going to say that again because that's good. We are often kept from our goals, not always because of obstacles, but a clearer path to a what? Lesser goal. Is there anything in your life that has potentially hijacked, uh, has potentially been hijacked because you have a clearer path to a lesser goal? Sometimes it's due to our feeling of inadequacy. Sometimes it is uh, because of fear. Sometimes it's because we want to protect or preserve something by playing it safe. And sometimes, unfortunately, if we're not, if, if we're honest, sometimes it is because it's because of pride. Now, I'm not talking about contentment because Paul, Paul teaches us in 1 Timothy 6 and 6 that godliness with contentment is actually a great thing. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something totally, totally different. Uh, Nancy Lee DeMoss says it this way. She's the author of Lies Women Believe and The Truth That Sets Them Free. She says, we have the potential danger of making the supernatural commonplace. The temptation that God making himself known to us will no longer amaze us. Can I be honest? Um, In the church, we haven't always been honest about what it really means to walk with God. Um, our invitations and our conversations sometimes sound more like a self-improvement fa- plan than uh, discipleship. Um, we, we tell folks like your life is going to get better. You're, uh, you're going to find a great community where you can do life with. You, uh, you're going to find ultimate fulfillment. Um, and although much of that is true, in our Western context, we soon substitute a cross for comfort, obedience for the illusion of control. As if the life with Christ is one without conflict or trouble. May I remind you that 10 of the 12 disciples uh, were martyred. May I remind you that John, the uh, the one that survived, uh, actually dies uh, uh, of old age on an island of Patmos where he was in exile. And that um, even Judas committed suicide. Being a disciple was not easy nor nor was it comfortable. Acts 8 and 1 teaches that the historical church has grown the most and spread the most uh, when it was under persecution, when it was challenged, when its leaders were pulled out of their comfort zones. My brothers and sisters, comfortable Christian is an oxymoron. (laughs) It is wanting a savior, but not a Lord. It is asking God to bring you out of the fire. And then uh, once he uh, tells you to go back in to help others get out, we resist. And I've come to realize this week, again, 
that God is not so much concerned with our comfort as much as he is with our growth. He's not so much concerned with our little kingdoms as he is about advancing his kingdom. So with that in mind, um, let's go into the text that we're going to be in today. Matthew chapter 16. And I want to challenge you as you turn there uh, to not be satisfied too soon. As we turn to Matthew uh, 17, I want to give some background in 16 that leads us into 17. Here are a few things that are important for you to remember about the, the chapter before the chapter will be in. The disciples have become careless and they are warned against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus actually asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? They say uh, back to him that some say that you're Elijah, some think you're John the Baptist, some think you're Jeremiah, some think that you're one of the uh, major prophets. Then Jesus asked them, who do you, who do you say that I am? And there was silence until Peter speaks out and says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus then affirms Peter and, and lets him know that it's only because uh, the Father has revealed this to you that you even know that. And then Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody. And right after that, Jesus predicts his own death, to which the same Peter who just prophesied about who Jesus was rebukes or challenges or tries to correct Jesus uh, because his traditional Jewish view and paradigm did not include a suffering Savior. And Jesus then rebukes Peter and explains that not only must he suffer, but his disciples and including us today that we must suffer too. He ends by saying that there is a cost. Somebody shout cost. There is a cost to discipleship, that you can't have elevation without humiliation, that that you can't have glory without suffering, that you can't have a crown without a cross. So that's the context. That is the context in which we walk into Matthew 17, beginning at verse 1. And it says, after six days... Uh, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high what? A high what? Mountain by themselves. Now, this story is mentioned in all three of the synoptic gospels, right? Uh, Which means it's pretty important. Uh, This is Jesus's inner circle. These are the three sons of thunder, if you will. Uh, Yes, he is discipling 12, but he spends most of his time with these three. Uh, These are the same three men that were present uh, when Jesus raised the little girl from the dead by saying, tell Talistai. This is the same three men who experienced later the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prays almost to the point of death. And these are the same three men who now experience what is called his transfiguration. I'm sort of giving you the end from the beginning. Can I do that? Um, But if the truth be told, this was designed, this whole experience that we're going to talk about today, it was designed to anchor them after Jesus's gruesome crucifixion and his glorious resurrection. Think about it. Like the real test for you and I of, of a good friend is not when everything is going great. A real test of a true friend is when you go through something, right? A real test, are you with me, Uh, of good friends, Job, is not when you're living the high life, not when you got it all together, not when you got all the money and all the possessions. The real test, Job, of your friends is when you go through some suffering. And the real test for me, if I'm honest, of when I've had the most intimate times with God from, from a longevity standpoint has been when I've gone through some struggles and God has shown up and revealed himself as faithful. Somebody shout faithful. And so the question becomes, like, do we just want mountaintop experience that are temporary and that are short-lived, or do we want to walk through some things in life where we can see the glory of God all around us? Verse 2 says, there he was transfigured. Somebody say transfigured. 
before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. In other words, uh, his body has uh, gone through a metamorphosis. It, it was a preview of Christ coming in his glory. Uh, it was the unveiling of his deity as most of his life he had wrapped himself in the humility of his humanity. In, in another gospel, it stuns me to hear that the disciples were partially awake while this was going on. These are the same dudes that fell asleep in the garden of Gethsemane while Jesus was praying. How in the world could anybody fall asleep when God is revealing his glory? Somebody that maybe, just maybe, had been satisfied too soon. How could anybody sleep with Jesus praying almost to the point of death? Maybe somebody who has been satisfied too soon. Maybe somebody that has been distracted by other things. Maybe somebody that has been lulled to sleep by life. How could the religious leaders of his day miss what Jesus was doing? Maybe because they had the wrong view of Jesus and maybe, just maybe, they were trying to build their own kingdoms instead of his. Now, we would never say this with our mouths, but sometimes we say it with our actions. I'm good. I don't need this. I don't need you. And ultimately, sometimes we say, I don't need God. It is, it is the third dimension of sinfulness. There's the lust of the flesh. There's the lust of the eye. But then there's this thing called the pride of life. The ultimate pride of life expression is I don't need God. And if we, uh, my prayer is that if we are sleeping, if we have been lulled to sleep by, by life and its challenges, or maybe even by pride and the satisfaction of feeling like we have it all together, that God wakes us up this morning and not allow us to have a satisfied soul. It keeps going in verse 3. It says, just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with who? Jesus. So it, was, it wasn't just a transfiguration. Watch this. But now we see that two other heroes of the faith show up, Moses and Elijah. <laughs> now, that's, this is the same Moses who confronted Pharaoh and led uh, the Hebrews out of Egypt across the Red Sea. This is the same Moses whose body was never found when he went up on Mount Nebo to die uh, about uh, 1,400 years earlier. That Moses is there. And if that wasn't enough, there's also next to him, Elijah, the same Elijah who was a powerful prophet who challenged the prophets of Baal and called down fire from heaven. The same Elijah who did not see death, but after um, uh, he passed his mantle to Elisha, the Bible says he was taken up in a chariot of fire almost 950 years earlier. That Elijah one who represents the law, the other who represents the prophets stands before them. One who represents the dead in Christ and the other who represents those who will believe and are yet still alive upon Jesus' return. They're both standing there talking with the one who represents grace and truth. I'm trying to paint a picture for you of what's happening here. Is it getting clearer? Can you imagine can you imagine being there? Jesus is transfigured. Uh, beams of light are coming from his body. And then Moses and Elijah show up. That probably would be an incredible sight. But Luke then goes on to tell us 
in chapter 9 of his book that they are, they're talking about Jesus' departure. They're talking about him going to a cross. They're, they're talking about the process he'll have to go through to suffer. Uh, some theologians suggest that, that Moses and Elijah show up to encourage him, to, to remind him of, of, of why he's doing it and what he's doing it for. And while all this has happened, the, 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 the clothes are lighting up. Moses and Elijah show up. Watch what, watch what Peter says. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters. Another translation says three tabernacles. I'll build them. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. It is in this sacred moment that Peter starts talking. I mean, don't you just love Peter? I mean, he is so enamored by his own experience that he doesn't even know what to say. He doesn't really know what to do. So in a loss for words and a lack of sensitivity to the spirit, Peter tells Jesus, Jesus, it's good for us. It's good for us to be here. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Anyone, anyone in your life ever interrupted a sacred moment? Anybody in your life ever um, kind of told you what they thought or what they wanted to do uh, and were not sensitive to what was happening around you. But like, we shouldn't judge him too harshly because what else do you say? Like, what else do you do when you see Jesus transfigured, uh, metamorphosis take place? Uh, what do you do when you see Moses and Elijah show up and start encouraging Jesus? What else do you do? I, I, I travel a lot. And so sometimes when I'm traveling, I get the, the, the privilege of bumping into celebrities. It's fun. Like uh, the other day, I was, I was in a Delta Sky Club and I'm getting some food and all of a sudden, Dr. J rolls up. I'm like, that's Dr. J. Julius Irving. Are y'all with me? Uh, and then another time I was, um, I was in Dallas and I was on my way back home and, and I'm going through TSA and there's this little short guy in front of me and I'm like, hey, he looks familiar. And he takes his hat off and it's Kirk Franklin. And deep down inside of me, I want to say, what's up, Kirk? Because guess what? It's good for me to be here. Now, now Kirk is good without me. <laughs> but I just want him to know it's good for me. Do y'all see what I'm saying? Like, that's what, that's what Peter's, Peter's doing in this text. Like, he's making it about him. He, he's missing uh, the real meaning of why this is happening, because in his immaturity, he makes stuff about him. Uh, and as if that wasn't awkward enough, he then says, I'm going to build something for y'all. This is the South, right? I can say y'all and y'all not look at me funny. I'm from the South. Uh, he says, I'm going to build something for y'all because Peter didn't want this to end. While Jesus is revealing his glory, Peter tells Jesus what he's going to build what he's going to do. He's saying, uh, let's memorialize this. He's saying, let's, let's make this a monument. Let's, let's make this permanent. Um, it is what we sometimes do with Sunday services at church. It's sometimes what we do with ministry is we start to memorialize things. We start to make them permanent. When they're not really doctrine, they're actually just preferences. We start making them permanent fixtures of our faith because it's so important to us. It's good for us to be here. 
And then we miss what God is doing around us. We miss what God is doing through other people because we're so enamored by what we have experienced. And so in the midst of all of that, watch what God does. While he, talking about Peter, is still, was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, you got to understand why this is so important, because in the previous chapter, there's confusion about who Jesus was, uh, just like there's some confusion today about who Jesus is. Is he a prophet? Is he a a good teacher? Is he a really good man? And God interrupts all of uh, Peter's chatter. Basically, he says, close your mouth, Peter. You're missing the moment. (laughs) You're messing this up. And he says, Jesus, my son, is not just one of three great men. Oh, no. He is the son of God. It simply echoes Peter's earlier confession in the previous chapter. But watch this. It keeps on going. I love this chapter. Watch what it says. It says, when the disciples heard this, they fell. They fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except who? They saw no one except who? Now, for everything else, they stood uh, in awe or they slept. Think about it. For everything else, they stood in awe, they slept, or they were talking. But for this, the Bible says that when God spoke, when the Father spoke, they fell face first and they were afraid. It couldn't have been a whisper. It couldn't have been. It, 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 it must have been not just the sound that uh, caused them to fall face first, but it must have been what they felt. Could you imagine his voice being almost like a thunder and wind when God speaks? And then Jesus comes over, touches them on the shoulder, tells them to get up and to not be afraid. Uh, it reminds me of something that happened to me uh, when I was in Michigan. Um, I, was, I went out boating with uh, one of our pastors, uh, and I'm not a big boater. Come on, say amen. And, um, but I went, I went, I went because he invited us. And our kids went out with me. Then we just had uh, two younger kids. And, uh, and we were out boating. And my kids are getting on uh, tubes. And they're riding behind the boat. You know, they're having a good time. And, I'm, you know, I'm a youth pastor. I'm thinking to myself, man, you know, you got something big enough for me? And so he was like, yeah, man, I got this mega bowl. So he blows up a mega bowl. And he throws it behind the boat. And I get in the mega bowl, y'all. <laughs> I'm bouncing on the waves. I ain't never been tubing before. You know, I'm having a great time. I'm waving at people on the shore. What's up, y'all? We all tubing around here, you know, and I'm getting it in. And then all of a sudden, Pastor Mike makes a turn. I'm like, what are you turning for? I start flying through the air. My arms are flailing, legs are flailing. I hit the, hit the water. I'm like, what just happened? Stop playing, boy. Stop playing. And he looks back at me and he looks mad. He looks like he's frustrated. So he gives that little red boat everything. And we are, I'm like, please don't turn. Don't turn. Whatever you do, don't turn again. And Pastor Mike turns. And this next time I fly through the air, I can't hold on. I lose grip. Arms are flailing. Legs are flailing. I hit the water. And the boat speeds off. And I'm going down in the water. I'm taking in water. I know they're not going to get back to me in time. You see what I forgot to tell Pastor Mike? was that I could kind of swim. <laughs> and 
you know, when you can kind of swim, I'm used to swimming in pools, right? Where, you know, this is a secret to those that that don't know this, but when you can't swim and you're in a pool, the secret is just to get to the edge. If you can just get to the edge and then just roll up on the edge, yeah, man, we can all swim around here. But when you're in a lake (laughs) that is three miles wide and five miles long, the edge is a long way away. And so I'm going down in the water, I'm taking in water, and I'm I'm like, God, please don't let me die here in front of my kids. And then all of a sudden I hear something say, be still. I forgot I had a life jacket on (laughs) y'all. I started rising to the top. Thank you, Jesus. 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 And I'm here to tell you, like, in that moment, all that was important to me was God's voice. All that was important to me in that moment was the passage that says, be still and know that I'm God. All that mattered was this sense in which God almost tapped me on the shoulder like he does in this text. And he says, I got you. I, I, I got you. Uh, I, I want to say to you, don't, uh, don't miss this. Uh, while life or when life can be overwhelming, when it, when it doesn't make sense, when it's all said and done, you and I are left with Christ and Christ alone. Now, you might want to touch your neighbor, high five your neighbor, nudge him or something. This is when it gets real Baptocostal now. Where you start to, and just touch him and say, Jesus is more than enough. That means you got to talk to somebody now. Tell him, Jesus is more yeah, I don't think you got my instructions. Like, go on the other side, get you another neighbor, high five them, you know, whatever, and tell them Jesus is more than enough. Yeah, we got to work on that here at Alive, y'all. Y'all ain't with me. Y'all ain't with me. But here's, here's my point. Moses and Elijah eventually leave. Uh, good people, even great people will eventually go. The boat sped off. And I know my wife was thinking about me. I know my kids were wondering about me. But sometimes people will leave. Sometimes they leave because of death. Sometimes they leave because they don't understand. But you and I, we are left with Jesus and Jesus alone. And when Jesus remains, when the Holy Spirit remains, I want you to understand that his presence in our lives is more. It's more than enough. I, I want to just uh, read a few uh, lyrics to the song, Christ Alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I Stand. He's more than enough. But let's keep reading this last verse. It says, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the son of man has been raised from the dead. Now, after all that, his body is uh, transfigured. Beams of light shooting out of his clothes. Moses and Elijah show up. God, the Father, speaks from heaven. And Jesus says, on our way back to the crib, on our way back to camp, on our way back to our home, Jesus says, but uh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> oh, can you imagine the disciples? I'm sure they're thinking like, yeah, right. As soon as I get back to camp. Because have you ever had a situation where you know, somebody said, you know, we're having a baby, but don't tell nobody. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we, I'm about to propose, but 
don't, don't tell anybody. We're about to move. I got a new job, but, but don't, don't tell anybody. I, I gave my life to Christ and I'm going to be baptized, but don't, 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 don't tell anybody. I feel called to ministry and I, I feel like God is called, but don't. Like good news is supposed to be shared. This good news is supposed to be experienced. So why on earth would he say this so explicitly to them? Because there was no room in their paradigm yet for a suffering savior. There was no room in their paradigm for a cross before a crown of humiliation, before elevation. In other words, they weren't ready and he didn't want their expectations to get in the way of his purpose. So Jesus says to them, don't tell anybody. And if the truth be told, uh, there's very little room in many of our paradigms today of a suffering Christ follower of someone who has to deal with difficult situations and challenges in life. But I want to remind you it's normal. I want to remind you you that it's part of the criteria. Even this week, um, can I be totally transparent? Even this week, I've been dealing with some things where God has said some things to me and and it's pushing me in a way. And I'm like, God, I don't don't know. This is not a good time. God, I don't know. I don't know if that's really great for my marriage and my kids. Like, I'm I'm wrestling. And God says something to me I'll never forget. He said, "Uh, do you trust me? And then he says, do you believe I would bring this to you to hurt you or to hurt your family or to grow you? And you would have thought I would have got it by then. But I still, you know, I still making some excuses about things I wanted to protect and all that kind of stuff. And then he just he just says something that caused me to hit my face and fall face first on the floor. He said, is this your life? Or is it mine? Do you just want me to be your savior or am I your Lord, Santis? Um, have you ever noticed that you can't fall asleep? Uh, you can't make yourself fall asleep. Have you noticed that? But you can create the conditions by which it's easier to fall asleep. You can't make yourself fall asleep. But you can set the conditions. And what this message is about, it's about setting the conditions So that it's easier for your heart to embrace following. So it's easier for your heart to embrace the fact that you might have to suffer, that you might have to go through some challenging situations. And it is in those challenging situations that God reveals his glory. It's not just on a Sunday service. uh, 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 It's not just on a platform. It's not just when you're having these special moments. But God often reveals himself and his glory in the midst of trouble. Yes, sometimes he brings you out. But sometimes God wants to be with you through it. And it is in those moments that he anchors you. He creates an anchor for your soul, and that's what this experience was for. And so let me give you a few things as we, as we close. Let me give you a few things to remember um, as you leave. The first one is uh, location. For anybody that has a satisfied soul, I want to suggest to you that you've got to remember location. Uh, Peter, your real work, your real life is down at the bottom of the mountain. Uh, sometimes you need glorious experiences on a mountaintop, but, uh, but you also need to deal with a real enemy and real people in the valley. If you are currently experiencing a mountaintop, let me tell you, a valley is coming. <laughs> if you're currently in a valley, let me tell you, a mountaintop is coming. Jesus' purpose was not to camp out on a mountain. It was to go to a cross and to get up from a grave. But then there's a second thing, demonstration, which God does in this text. Uh, I'll never forget, we were, um, I took my kids to a camp I, I spoke at this summer. And the first day at camp, one of the leaders falls off of a rock climbing, rock climbing wall and breaks his ankle. I mean, bad. To the point where his ankle swole up like a cantaloupe. I mean, it was just, and we were like, man, you need to go to the doctor. You need to go get that looked at. And he refused to leave, right? He said, I'll leave when the camp is open. So he, he's getting wheeled around. He's on crutches. And that third night uh, of the camp, I preach a message about freedom. 
and about healing and deliverance. And at the end, I feel like I'm supposed to go over and pray for this brother. But before I can even get to him, some of the students and some of the other leaders start to get around him and start praying. And do you know that brother stood up on that ankle? And not only did he stand up on that ankle, that brother started walking. And soon after he started walking around the room, he started running. And when that happened, when the other students saw this guy who they knew his ankle was broken, they knew it. And they witnessed the miracle. The Holy Spirit just broke out in the whole place. And students started getting delivered and set free. And there were healings. Why? Because sometimes it's good to preach a message. But there's other times when there needs to be a demonstration of God's power. And and everything changed for the rest of the week because students saw miracles. It started with that leader, but then it broke out in their own lives. So there's demonstration and then there's association. Uh, What I found, um, I never forget, I I got invited to go to an NFL game and I didn't know what kind of seats we had, but because the guy guy didn't invite me, you know, he said, I got your tickets. And we show up at the game and I'm like, where are we going? He's like, we're going to the 50 yard line. I'm like, what? The 50 yard line? He said, yeah, we got box seats. I was like, what? We got what? Box seats. And so we show up and I'm standing. He's, oh yeah, by the way, I I bought you a jacket. You know, he had me a jacket and a hat and and a scarf from that team. And I'm sitting there all decked out in that attire at the 50 yard line. I'm thinking to myself, I could never afford this. (laughs) But I got there because of association, because of the person who brought me. Are you with me? And what I want you to understand is they're experiencing this only because they are association with Jesus. And there are many benefits of following Jesus. But I also want to suggest to you that there's a cost to following Jesus too. And he tells them that their cost is that they must suffer. So you will get the benefits, but you will also endure suffering. And that leads to transformation. Jesus ultimately came so our lives would be what? Transformed. Therefore, his transfiguration is a picture of our transformation. He rescues us from sin, uh, things in our past, things in our present, things in our future. Uh, In our past, it's called justification, where we are made right uh, or righteous in the sight of God uh, by Jesus' work and by our faith. In our present, it's called sanctification. If you're wrestling, you definitely need to know that. Uh, Sanctification, that's where we're made more and more uh, like Jesus day by day. But then there is our future, and that's glorification. It is the final stage of redemption when we take on our heavenly bodies. We are not transformed. Watch this. We are not transformed by watching great men and women of faith, of seeing a Moses and Elijah. But we are transformed by following. We are transformed by going down the mountain and doing what Jesus says. There is, there are no shortcuts. Here's the last thing. He tells them, and the last thing I want you to remember, proclamation. What God the Father says about Jesus still remains true, that he is the son of the living God and that we should listen to him. And Jesus has simple and clear instructions on the way down the mountain. Tell others about me. Tell others about this. When I am raised from the dead, other people need to know. When you've experienced something incredible, you want to tell other people about it. I wish I would have been there. Uh, We have the luxury of seeing the backside of this. If I had been there, I would have whispered to, to Peter, at least let Jesus get to the cross before you are satisfied. At least let him be raised from the dead, uh, before you are satisfied. At least let him ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I before you are satisfied at least Peter. Peter, at least wait till the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and and you preach the gospel and 3,000 people are saved before you are satisfied. And I want to say to you and to me, at least wait until Jesus' return before you are satisfied. Until that happens, 
I can't let myself be comfortable on the wrong mountain. I can't be satisfied too soon. Can I talk to some real people? For some of you, you felt stuck in your marriage or relationship, and you've settled on the fact that uh, this is all it'll ever be. I'm here to tell you, don't be satisfied too soon. For others, you, you've become content on your job or what's happening at your school, and, and you know that it can be better, but I'm here to tell you, don't be satisfied too soon. For others, you feel like ministry has hit its peak, and you've plateaued, or you've hit a wall, and you feel like you, you'll never be able to turn it around. I'm here to tell you, don't be satisfied too soon. For others, uh, you've experienced a diagnosis, a, a health scare that has knocked the wind out of you, and you in some ways have almost given up uh, the possibility of, of healing. But I want to say to you, don't be satisfied too soon. Last story, and I'm done. So there was a uh, Dr. Marvin McMickle uh, tells this story uh, of two birds. One bird is a bird that is in the house of a married, newly married couple. And these are the birds that repeat things. And um, the bird says over and over again, uh, let us kiss. Let us kiss. Let us kiss. And there's another bird. The, the other bird is in the house of a pastor. And that bird says over and over, let us pray. Let us pray. Let us pray. And people wonder, like, what? What would happen if we put those two birds in the same cage? And two teenage boys made it happen one day. They took one bird and they took the other bird and they got them in the same cage. And just as they expected, the first bird said, let us kiss. Let us kiss. Let us kiss. And then the other bird said, finally, my prayers have been answered. I want to say to you what Matthew 7 and 7 says, keep on praying, keep on trusting, keep on knocking, keep on asking because God doesn't want you to be satisfied too soon. Don't be satisfied with bad relationships, unhealthy friendships, and stale marriages. Don't be satisfied with unfulfilling jobs, stagnant ministry, or an uneventful life. I'm so glad that there are people in our lives that we are witnesses to the fact that they have not been satisfied too soon. May God arrest our hearts if we have a satisfied soul. May he lovingly confront us if we've been satisfied too soon. May he wake us up from our our slumber if the supernatural has become commonplace and if God revealing himself to us no longer amazes us. May we not be satisfied too soon. Please stand. Let's pray. Father, this word challenges us because, God, it's so easy to want to be on the mountaintop. It's so easy to want to make it about us. It's so easy for us to tell God what we want to build. And God, it's easy to make you Savior. It's a whole lot harder to make you Lord. And so, God, whatever it is we're dealing with, whatever it is that we've been satisfied in. I pray that you arrest our hearts, that you wake us up and not allow us to be satisfied too soon. For some of us, God, it's relationships. For others, it's the business you've called us to. For others, it's ministry and uh, the context of uh, uh, relationships in that capacity. But God, whatever it is, I pray that you show us your glory. And not just when it feels good, But show us your glory even when it hurts, even when we're going through. 
And we believe we'll be transformed by that. We'll be transformed not by watching other people, but by following you. So do it as only you can. And let us never, ever have a satisfied soul. It's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Somebody say, amen.